We are holding in Perik Hay, chapter 5 of Tanya. Um, as we're, you know, we're going through it uh, week by week, one, uh, one chapter a week. And today we will focus on chapter 5, Perik Hay, which is very much a continuation of what we've been talking till here. So um, very quick, in uh, chapter 1, in chapter 1 of Tanya, in the end of the chapter, the Alter Rebbe gives us the concept um, based on the teachings of the Arizal, written by Rabbi Chaim Vital, that every Jew has two neshamas, two souls, um, the godly soul, the nefesh alokis, and the nefesh abahamis, what we call the animal or natural soul. Um, and at the end of chapter 1, very, very quickly he discussed the animal soul and some, some of his basic traits, and we're going to get back to that. Chapter 2 introduces us to the godly soul. As we began, we talked about the fact that the essence of the godly soul is a part of Hashem, blown out of Hashem's nostrils, uh, blown out of Hashem, so to speak, into our nostrils. Um, and we talked about different levels of souls, but at the, at the core, every soul is essentially a part of Hashem. That was chapter 2. Chapter 3 introduced us to the soul powers. We talked about the 10 basic powers of the soul, or the 10 attributes we talked about the intellectual faculties of the soul versus the emotional faculties of the soul, the Chachma Bina Das versus the later Midos, and that was discussed in chapter 3. Last week, in chapter 4, we talked about the Levushim, which uh, literally mean the soul garments, or the expressions, the expressions of the soul, and they were primarily the thought, speech, and deed of the godly soul. Remember, we're focusing on the godly soul in these last couple of chapters, chapter 2, 3, 4, and today as well. Um, today, actually, we're going to finish up the discussion of the godly soul, and that's chapter 5. So, in chapter 4, we learned about the levushim, the garments of the soul. The soul uses thought, speech, and deed. Now, the thought, speech, and deed of the godly soul are basically the thought, speech, and deed of mitzvahs. In mitzvahs, there's action, there's action mitzvahs, there's mitzvahs that we do verbally with our mouths, and there's mitzvahs that we think, machshava. So the, the machshava, dibur, and maisa of the nefesh, or the the godly soul, is the garments of the godly soul. So, and I just want to go over one point that we discussed last week, and especially because there was a question that someone asked, although I don't remember now who, but I thought it over after, and I wanted to add a little bit of explanation to that. I think it was someone here who asked the question, you'll remind me. Um, but the point that he made last week, and we talked about at length, excuse me, was that on one hand, on one hand, garments seem to be secondary to the soul itself. Right? Just like a human being, we have ourselves and our garments, our clothing. Our clothing are secondary to us. They're just what we ex- use to express ourselves. But we can change clothes, and we are a different pair of clothes, so clothes are not us. And in the same way, when you think about the, the makeup of the soul, so the wisdom, the understanding, the feelings, that's the makeup of the soul. Thoughts, words, and deeds are merely garments and merely expressions. So one might think they're lesser, lesser significant or less valuable than the soul powers. But what he explained last week is to the contrary. The garments are the Torah and mitzvahs. That's our connector to Hashem. So when the soul encloses itself in the thought, or the speech and the deed of Torah and mitzvahs, that's how the soul is really connecting to Hashem and being surrounded by Hashem. Remember, we talked about what's written on the Matseva, remember last week, that the soul wants to be bound up and surrounded, enveloped in Hashem's embrace. 
So that happens because the soul, which is the feelings and the wisdom and everything in the soul, encloses itself in the thought, speech, and deed of mitzvahs. And through that, the soul is connect, fully connected and enveloped by Hashem. So it's actually the garments of the soul that give the soul the gift of being fully connected to Hashem. Right? And that's what we discussed last week, that on the one hand, again, I'm sorry for being repetitious, on the one hand, the garments are, seem secondary. On the other hand, it's through the garments that the soul is able to reach what it couldn't on its own, and that it's, it's the fullness of its connection to Hashem. Now, why is it that the soul is enclosed in the mitzvah? I'm sorry, why is it that the midos are enclosed in the mitzvahs? So we talked about that when a person has a mida of avas Hashem, they love Hashem or they fear Hashem, that love and fear then is enclosed in the act of the mitzvah. So the, the midos of the soul are enclosed in the act. And now everything is connected to Hashem. So one of you asked, well, what if I did a mitzvah without that much feeling? Right? I think, remember? Uh, what if I just did it? I didn't have that tremendous feeling. Well, I'm sorry? Oh, we're not going to say whose fault it was. But <laughs> so what if I what if I did a mitzvah and I didn't have feeling? I just did it. So this is it still a good mitzvah? Like does it still work? So we talked about it a little bit, and I think what I answered was correct. But I think for the sake of this chapter, the idea here is the the more of myself I enclose in the act of the mitzvah, I get involved in the mitzvah. The more all of me is involved and connected to Hashem. Right? The idea of this chapter, or, or chapter 4, is that it's the garments of the soul, it's the mitzvahs that, are the, that create the fullest connection. The more we are invested in that, or the more of ourselves we invest in that, the more of ourselves get connected to that mitzvah that was done. Right? So the mitzvah is a mitzvah either way, and the mitzvah is holy, and the mitzvah is special. But how much of myself, how much of my feelings, and how much of my, of my soul am I investing, involving in it, the more I invest in it, the more I was enclosed and, and um, enveloped in Hashem in the act of that mitzvah. So just to, to finish that point, of course the mitzvah is a good mitzvah and it's a great connection to Hashem no matter what. The more of my feelings and the more of my mind and the more of my effort I invested, the more of me became connected to Hashem through this mitzvah that I've done. Right? So to be clear, the mitzvah is a connection no matter what. The more I invested, the more of me was invested in that mitzvah and therefore is surrounded, enveloped, enclosed, connected to Hashem. So when you're elevating the animal. Not just the animal, the even the godly soul. Even the godly. even the godly soul, by doing a mitzvah, is connecting to Hashem himself. It's not just my understanding and my godly feelings, but connecting to Hashem himself through those mitzvahs. Higher you put yourself in, you're elevating that. The more you put, the more of yourself you put into it, the more of yourself was invested in the mitzvah and connected to Hashem at that moment. Okay? All of that was last week. That was chapter four. Chapter five is a direct continuation from chapter four and delves deeper into understanding the special connection to Hashem that the mitzvah and Torah affords us. Right? Because this is what we're talking about. We're talking about that I have a soul, but through the mitzvahs that I do, and through the Torah that I learn, I'm connecting to Hashem. So chapter 5 takes us to a deeper um, understanding of the connection that we create with Hashem through being involved in Torah and mitzvahs. And specifically, chapter 5 is actually famous 
for being the chapter where the Alter Rebbe says the unique connection that Torah specifically creates with Hashem. Because even in connections alone, there is mitzvahs, all the mitzvahs that we do, and there is Torah study. And in this chapter, the Alter Rebbe is going to analyze the difference between the connection to Hashem created through mitzvahs and the connection to Hashem created through Torah study. And that's the, um, I guess, I think that's a, a famous idea of chapter 5. Um, but in order to get to that, I want to mention one last thing that we, t- that was, we touched upon last week. <clears throat> Excuse me. We talked about that when we learn Torah or, to, or we do mitzvahs, we're connecting to Hashem. The wording he used was to hug the king. Right? Hashem is called as the king, obviously. And that a mitzvah and Torah are a divine hug. And we talked about there is us hugging Hashem and there is Hashem hugging us. Right? We said there's, there's, both of them are mentioned. There is the chibuk, the hug that we give to Hashem through Torah and mitzvahs and there's Hashem hugging us. What we're going to see today is that really the difference between us hugging Hashem and Hashem hugging us is very much the difference between Torah and mitzvahs. Okay? So let's see how, he, how that plays itself out in chapter 5. He begins chapter 5 with a quote that is an important quote and a famous quote, and, and that comes from the Pasach Eliyahu. And we mentioned the Pasach Eliyahu in the past. It's a section of the Zohar that we say on Friday by Mincha, if we get to it, right? In other words, Friday Mincha is a difficult time for a lot of people, and I know that. But the essence of the Mincha, of course, is the Shmona Esrei and Ashrei. But beforehand, the custom by many is to say one chapter of Tehillim, chapter 106 of Tehillim, uh, 107 of Tehillim, that is, and chapter, oh, it's 106, 107, I'm drawing a blank right now, I'll get back to you on that. What's before Pasach Hod Hashem, and that's chap- which chapter is that? Do you have it? But does it say which chapter until? Why am I not remembering? Because 106 or 107. Okay, one of them. Be that as it may. Then we say a section of the Zohar that starts with the words Pasach Eliyo, which means that Eliyo Hanavi is the one who said this. So Rabbi Shimon Baruch is writing this in the Zohar, and it's Kabbalistic, and it's based on the words of Eliyo Hanavi. And one of the quotes in that statement is Leis Machshava Tfisa Bey. That's in Aramaic, which means no thought, no mind can really grasp Hashem. The word tfisa in Aramaic means to grasp. And he's saying that really on our own, there is no way we could grasp Hashem. Why not? Well, obviously, because Hashem is infinite and we're finite. A human being is finite by the nature of who we are. We're creations. Hashem is infinite. He's the creator. And a finite creation cannot grasp the infinite. But the Alter Rebbe zooms into the word grasp, tfisa. And he says, no, we don't have the ability to grasp Hashem on our own naturally. But yet, through Torah and mitzvahs, we do have that ability to grasp Hashem. And specifically, it's through Torah study, even more so than mitzvahs. And why is that? But in order to understand that, we have to understand that Torah study takes a very, very central place in Yiddishkeit. Right? Even though there's many mitzvahs that we do, and special mitzvahs and wonderful mitzvahs, there's something unique and very, very special in Yiddishkeit to Torah study. In fact, every morning when we say the brachas, we talk about a lot of the special mitzvahs that we have. And what do we say at the end? 
the Talmud Torah keneged kulam. There's something about Torah study that really is equal to all of the other mitzvahs put together. And, you know, there's a reason why we're called the people of the book, right? And who gave us the name the people of the book? Not Jews. Right? The name the people of the book, if, uh, if my um, information is correct, comes from the Quran of all places. But it's stuck because we're a people that have always, always studied. And that's really the story of Kali. So we, we study, we learn Torah. And, and we learn Torah even if we're not that knowledgeable people. We have, whenever we have some time, we try to add a shear and learn a little bit more. And even the greatest tzaddikim, just, and who seem to know it all already, still spend their time learning Torah. It's an amazing concept that as much as one knows, they're just learning more and more. Um, you ever met uh, this Dr. Weiss from Chicago? Dr. Weiss from Chicago was the Rebbe's doctor. After well, the Rebbe had the heart attack in 1977, and he was a great cardiologist, still is, he's living well, but he was the Rebbe's doctor. And I heard he once said, I heard, this, I heard a speech from him maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, it was after, after, after Gimel Talmud, and he's speaking in 77, and he says, I have to tell you, Hasidim, something. He says, as the Rebbe's doctor, I asked him after the heart attack, I said, I need to know his Seder of the day, the hours of what he does. And he said, he doesn't want to tell me. It's personal, it's private. So I said, but I, as a physician, I, I, have to know, I have to know. How much stress you have? Yeah, well, this is what you do and when. So he said. Allowed to reveal that so listen, so the Rebbe said, if you're telling me as a physician, then I'll tell you. But the condition is you may not tell it to anybody else. So he said, I, I said, okay, I won't. So he says, therefore, now I'm not going to tell it to you because I said I'm not going to, but I'll tell you one thing that with all the things that the Rebbe did and all the people he met and all the letters he answered, he spent more time every day learning Torah than everything else together. Wow. He said, that was, I'll tell you. He said, based on the hours, he gave me his hours, he gave me the schedule. He said, you might think, you know, he's so busy, thousands of letters, meeting people, running programs, the whole world, everything. But he said, there were more time spent in front of a safer than everything else together. And this is someone who, when he was a child, the Rebbe was known to already have known Whole, you know, Talmud and everything was tested on all of it as a child. And nevertheless, the occupation of a Yid was always to learn Torah. So why is it? Why the Talmud Torah connected Kulam? Why is it so, so central to Yiddishkeit? So here in this chapter, the Al-Tarev gives the following point. And he says, when we do mitzvahs, any mitzvah, and we talk about it last Last week, when we do a mitzvah, what are we essentially doing? We're enveloping ourselves in Hashem's light, in Hashem's will, in Hashem's ratzam. And the more mitzvahs they do, the more we envelop ourselves. And that was the idea behind that we said that we're surrounded by godliness and we're surrounded every part of ourselves and every aspect of our being by Hashem. So primarily mitzvahs, more than anything else, we're enveloping ourselves and surrounding ourselves in godliness and holiness. And we're enveloping every part of ourselves by doing every mitzvah. We talked last week about the 613 mitzvahs, 1613 soul powers. It's like a garment that surrounds us totally. We're, we're guarded, we're protected by Hashem's mitzvahs. All of that is true when we study Torah also. When we study Torah, first of all, Torah is a mitzvah. Like any other mitzvah, there's a mitzvah to learn Torah. And also when we're learning the words of Torah, when we're thinking about a concept, we are very much enveloping ourselves in that idea. Right? When you're learning something, when you're really thinking about something, you're enveloped in it. Your mind is there. You don't have a place for anything else. But there's something else that happens when we learn Torah that doesn't happen when we do any mitzvah. 
And what is that? The ideas that we learn become part of us. We envelop and surround and take into ourselves those ideas. And in that way, Torah is very different than all the mitzvahs. When a mitzvah, once a person did a mitzvah, they did it. Right? I did the mitzvah, I drew down that divine energy on my arm, on my eyes, on my head, on my foot, whatever it is. I drew down divine energy on me. But that divinity didn't become part of me in a way that I internalized it. What happens when we study, when we learn? Those ideas that we picked up now come into us and we know them. We understand them. An hour later, we can come back to it. A day later, we can think about it again. Because there's something that actually entered into me that I understand and now becomes, in a sense, mine. It's an idea that I have acquired that now is in my mind and is in my brain. I can go back to it. Right? That doesn't make sense because you have all these bachram that are putting tefillin. Chocolate. You have all these bachram that are going out and putting tefillin and they're touching the soul and the essence. And from that mitzvah connection, they might be reaching people in a way that maybe Tyra isn't. So until you get to the point of, you know, okay, I can learn Tyra, I understand, then how is that that it could be more? I understand what you're saying, I comprehend, yet there's that other element of... No, no, so we're mitzvahs... Do you understand yeah, the question? So mitzvahs are extremely powerful. And they draw down a tremendous divine energy on the person who's doing the mitzvah and a person who helps another person do a mitzvah and a person who puts on tefillin or lights a Shabbos candle or whatever mitzvah it is, draws down a divine energy which is going to help that person and, and uplift that person and connect them. And all that is 100% true. There's something internal though that happens when we learn Torah that doesn't happen when we do any other mitzvah. See, when you do a mitzvah with a person, when you finished doing the mitzvah, there's nothing that that person has now that they know and understand in a way that they took something that became part of them. There is a divine energy that surrounds that person now and therefore uplifts that person. And that's there. When we learn Torah in addition to that, there's something that becomes part of that person's mind, changes the way the person thinks. Because now in their mind, there's ideas that they can go back to, that they can think over, that they have, it became theirs. So the way he pictures it in the Tanya, he says like this, he, he actually uses almost like a visual. He says, when we do mitzvahs, we're enveloped by Hashem. Hashem surrounds us, envelops us. We're surrounded by an aura of Kedusha. When we learn Torah, we're doing that. But aside from that, we are also enveloping Hashem. Hashem is also within us. Not only is He surrounding us and which picks us up to a different place, He's also internally become part of the way we think and the way we see things. And the more we learn Torah and the more we think about the Torah that we learn, the more it becomes internalized within us because it's something that we know and that we understand. So... <clears throat> So when we do a mitzvah and this divine energy surrounds us, mm -hmm. 
we're done with the mitzvah. Right. Okay. Then we're no longer surrounded by that divine energy. So there is always, you know, whenever whenever Hashem makes a mark somewhere, that mark is always going to be, there's always going to be a leftover mark. The intensity mark. Of right. is different. The intensity is different because right now that divine energy is, I'm not doing the mitzvah now. So it's sort of, I did it, and it leaves an imprint, it leaves an impression. There's a certain kedusha that was drawn down on me, which will have, you know, mitzvah goreres mitzvah. One mitzvah is going to pull another mitzvah. It's not inside, it's external. Exactly. It's more external. It's more enveloping. It's not something that became part of me. Interestingly, he makes a very interesting, interesting halachic note. There is a concept of standing up for a Talmud Chacham. A Torah scholar supposed to stand up. Is it only while the Torah scholar is studying Torah? No. The Torah scholar is a Torah scholar, walks by. There's a concept of showing that respect. What about a person when they're doing a mitzvah? When you see a person doing a mitzvah, it's appropriate to stand up because the person's doing a mitzvah. But afterward, not. Because the mitzvah's effect is primarily palpable when the mitzvah is being done and that divine energy is being drawn down. But being that it doesn't internally become part of the person's understanding and psyche, it doesn't change their, their way of thinking. So afterward, there's no special concept of standing up in kavod for a person who did a mitzvah an hour ago or did 10 or 100 mitzvahs. The concept halachically of standing up is for someone who studied Torah, a Talmud Chacham, even though now they're not studying. Because Torah affects us in that, in that additional amazing way. So let's say I am learning, okay? But, you know, in that second I learn something, but then I forget. So it isn't inside me anymore. Okay, good point. Good point. But it's not exactly so. Because even when we forget things, that means we don't consciously this moment remember it. It's so common that we forgot something, and if you jostle our memories, it will come back to us. So you're right. If I'm forgetting it, it's not as clearly, consciously, you know, there, but it still became something that went into me, and very likely I could remember it. Unless it's so totally forgotten, I haven't thought about it for so many years or whatever, maybe. But typically speaking, even if something's not on the top of our mind, so it's you know, a deeper level, and it takes more time to, to remember it. But, but clearly, a Torah scholar is not someone who forgot everything that they learned. It's someone who's learning and thinking and rethinking. Is this true for women and men? Yes. Let me, I'll, let me, I want to get to that in a moment. I want to get to that in a moment. And it's a great question. I'm going to get to that, and it's right here in my notes. Okay. Um, but, um, Rabbi Silverberg? Yes. Can I just ask one thing? Like, I was thinking about mitzvahs that are 24 hours a day. Like, let's say a man wears a yarmulke and sits this 24 hours, a woman, a married woman covers her hair 24 hours. So it's like, the, the remember we're saying that Hashem's light is, is around us mm -hmm. just for that moment, but wouldn't this be a mitzvah? Aren't there mitzvahs that Hashem, Hashem's divinity is, is, is externally there but it's 24 hours a day. Excellent, excellent question and point very, very well made. And the answer is that you're right. In that situation, that would be there the entire time. And yet the entire time, it's still more of that external surrounding type of light. So it's the external surrounding type of light that's there the entire time, which is wonderful, but it still doesn't have that advantage that terror brings, where in addition to surrounding the person, also becomes part of the person in a way that the person understands it. 
and it becomes part of their mind. So it's not just a question of if this is one hour or two or ten, it's also a question of the way, the form of relationship. So uh, where the mitzvah, the form is more that Hashem envelops the person, and again, catapults the person to a different place, and it's a tremendous kedusha, tremendous power, and in no way are we trying to belittle the power of a mitzvah. But the, the way of the connection is in that what's called makif, or surrounding, and Torah, in addition to surrounding us, also because something that becomes part of the way we think and understand, we bring it into ourselves. So to, to uh, I just want to give you the words the Alter Rebbe says, because they're so beautiful and very powerful. He says, he says um, that this union that happens when a person learns Torah, he says, is a yichud nifla, is a wondrous union. She'en yichud kamohu. There's no union quite like this. Velo ke'erko nimsa klal. You can't find any other union like this. Lios, in any physical type of union. Lios la'achadim umiyuchadim mamash. To become unified as one, literally, mikol sad upina, from every side. So I'm, I'm enveloped in the Torah that I'm studying. The Torah becomes part of me, and that creates that ultimate union between Hashem and Yid. So therefore, even though, and I'm, I'm going to repeat, mitzvahs are tremendously powerful, and we devote so much time and energy to doing the mitzvahs, there's a reason why the Salmo Torah connected Kulam. There's a reason why Klal Yisrael devotes themselves to Torah study, because there's a, a certain aspect and level of that union that's created through Torah that's unparalleled by any mitzvah. Yes. Yeah, sorry. So didn't sure. we say earlier though that like chachma alone isn't transformative? That we have to like pull it down to the bina and the das, and it feels like just learning is more the chachma level, and unless you like just learn it, right, as opposed to actually like you know bringing it in. And, and okay. So connection. good question. Um, the question here is: is is it just Chachma or is it also the Bina and the Das and moving further? And the answer is: learning is not just the Chachma. Learning is Chachma. Learning is Bina. Learning is Das. All three intellectual capacities are very much involved in learning. Learning is not just the kernel of the idea. Learning is the wisdom and the understanding and the contemplation and the study. Learning is learning it again and again, as we discussed, I think it was two weeks ago, when one learns something again and again, they actually bring it into themselves so much more, so much stronger. All of that is part of the learning. Now, learning is not supposed to stay only in the realm of learning. There's no question that we're, we're learning and that learning is supposed to bring us to action and do the right things. And if someone just learns Torah and doesn't do mitzvahs, their Torah is very, very lacking. But at the same time, the connection component of the learning is a very powerful connection and that's what he's focusing on here. Okay? Um, and in fact, what he tells us over here is that mitzvahs in the bigger picture are called levush, levushim, which are garments. And Torah in the bigger picture is called food, mazon. In Tehillim, David HaMelech says very powerfully, chapter 40, verse 9 in Tehillim, he says, Visorascha betoch me'ai. Literally that means, your Torah Hashem is inside my innards, my intestines. In my kishkes, right. What is he saying? He's saying, what's the difference between food and garments? 
Garments are important, very important, but they surround us. They help us express ourselves. They're external. Food becomes part of us. What's the passage? Visorascha besoch me'oy. Again, it's in Tehillim, chapter 40, verse 9. And so Dabar Malach compares Torah to food. And it's interesting. When does food really become part of you? You can't just take something and like stick it into your mouth. You chew it, and you have to chew it well, and you have to digest it. And the same with Torah. Torah doesn't just mean like, yeah, just tell me something. I got it. To really, for Torah to become part of me, that's when I chew it, and I think it over, and I think it over, and I digest it. And with time, it becomes more and more part of me. Because I, I took it in. It became part of me. I internalized it. Like food that becomes so important for life, to sustaining us, but only if we chew it and digest it properly. Um, I think it was two weeks, two weeks ago I told you a story um, from my Mashpia, my Rebbe Remendel Futterfas. I'll tell you another one. And he, um, he said that he, he remembers an elder chassid when he was, a young, he was a young boy himself. And this chassid, his name was Rebeliezer Chicharsker or something like that. That was, that was the name of a city, really, Chicharsker. Anyways, and he was very sick and he was old in the end of his life. And he was laying in bed, bedridden, and he could barely eat anything. Like mamish, nothing. They had to like sort of give him some, uh, you know, from fruit, some puree, whatever, just something to get into him. And Remendel once asked him, he says, Rebelezer, how, how are you doing? How are you feeling? So he says, I'm okay. Halavai, my ruchnius would be as good as my gashnius. That spiritual, halavai, I would be spiritually doing as well as I am physically. So he says, what are you talking about? You're not doing anything physically. You can't even, you can barely eat anything. So he said, he said, it's true. I can barely eat anything. But the little bit that I do eat really goes in and becomes part of me. How do I know? Because I'm alive. As long as I'm alive, it means something is getting in and becoming part of me. So halavai ruchnius also, it should really become part of me. Even a little bit of what I learned, what I daven, should really, really become part of me. But that was the idea. But that, that's what he's saying here in Tanya. That Torah is Muslim. And in fact, he brings very beautifully from the Arizal. And the Arizal says this in the name of the Zohar. That just like in this world we have food and clothing, when our neshamas go up to Gan Eden, a neshama also needs food and clothing. Just food and clothing is on a physical sense. We're a physical body. We need physical food and physical clothing. Our soul departs from us and goes into heaven. It goes into Gan Eden. And there it has to go through the spiritual experiences of Gan Eden. And it's able to bask in the glory of Hashem and so on and so forth. But the Zohar says the soul in Gan Eden also needs food. And also needs garments. What's the food that it eats or that sustains it? The Torah that it learned. And what's the garments? The mitzvahs that it did. The mitzvahs that it did and the Torah that it learned are the food, the sustaining food and the garments that carry the soul into the next world. Because, and that's because even in this world, that's really what they are. They're spiritual food and they're spiritual garments. This also explains another very important point that he makes in this chapter. Sometimes we learn Torah and we're learning about halachas that seem to, like, they'll never happen. Right? Especially when you're into, when you're learning Gemara or, or areas of Torah that are very, very hypothetical. And some things, you're like learning, if this will happen, if that will happen, and you're like, did this ever really happen? Will this ever really happen? And if not, what's the value of learning it? 
In fact, there's even some mitzvahs in the Torah that it says never happened. Anyone knows an example? Excellent. Ben, there's a story with Ben Sorer Umar, like a very harsh section of the Torah. A child who did like everything wrong in the book and there's about a million stipulations that he would have to do and this child would be put to death. A 12-year-old, 13-year-old child. Now, it's a really harsh story except that when you read the Talmud you figure out the story never happened. Because there's so many details and nuances that have to happen that the story never happened. The Talmud says, never happened. There's question about other mitzvahs also, there's question about certain things. And here the question is, so if it never really happened, what's the value of learning it? And the answer is, the value of learning it is because when I'm learning Torah, this is Hashem's wisdom. Hashem's ratzon, Hashem's wisdom is that if this were to be, then this would be the halacha. The value of the connection to Hashem is not based on the materialization of whether it will or won't happen. The value of the connection is it's Hashem's wisdom. That Hashem said if A would lead to B and if B would lead to C, then you would do D. All of that is the wisdom of Torah with all of the halachas and all of the details. And when we're studying that, we're creating that connection. So very likely the reason why this mitzvah was said is to afford us another opportunity to connect to Hashem's wisdom with this yichud nifla, this unbelievable union. So really what this chapter, chapter chapter 5 is about, is continuing the concept of chapter 4. That it's through our involvement of Torah mitzvahs that we're able to fully connect to Hashem. But chapter 8 is breaking it down to the different forms of connecting to Hashem. The mitzvah form of connection, the Torah form of connection, which going back to something I don't think I finished up with, is who's hugging who? When we do mitzvahs primarily, it's Hashem hugging us. Because we're enveloped by Hashem, by bringing that divine light around us. So when, when, the, when the Tanya and the Svarim talk about the divine hug, actually we talk about it in Shir Hashirim, right? We say, um, Hashem's right arm hugs us. That's from Shir Hashirim. Um, which mitzvah especially represents that hug? The sukkah, excellent. So that's the, the right hand, and we, we enter into Hashem's embrace. So mitzvahs are more Hashem's hug to us. Mikvah. Mikvah, you're correct. But it says it specifically about sukkah, because sukkah is, is in consideration of Rosh Hashanah. It's part of the sequence of, of Rosh Hashanah. But you're right, there are certain mitzvahs that were enveloped, and mikvah is one of them. So, so mitzvahs is Hashem hugging us. What Torah brings to the table is that Hashem is also within us, so we're hugging Hashem. And that's the two sides of that chibuk, of that divine hug. Now, the big question, of course, which was mentioned before, and I said I'll get to now, is what's the story with women and learning Torah? Right? Because especially when you learn this chapter of Tanya, and he gives us this tremendous, beautiful understanding of the, the as he calls it, the yichud nifla, the great union, the wondrous union that happens through Torah. What, what, what about women? Are they part of that or not part of that? As we know, there's differences between men and women when it comes to learning Torah. So, should I give you the short answer or the long answer? Long. <laughs> the long answer. Okay. okay. So, so, no, long but short. Right, right. That's it. The, the long, short way. Exactly. So, it, it, the short, long answer is the following. There are three basic reasons and concepts behind learning Torah. When any yid learns Torah, there's three basic reasons why one learns Torah. What are they? And we can go around the table, but let's, it, let me set it up in the following way. This first simplest reason why we learn Torah is 
<laughs> okay, I, that's why I said I know what to say first, second, and third. But I'm going to say number one is to tell us what to do. Right? The word Torah means instruction, teaching. Right? We can't very well do any mitzvahs if we don't learn Torah. Because you can't really keep Shabbos if you don't learn the laws of Shabbos. You can't do any mitzvah without knowing how to do it. Knowing how to do it is Torah. So on the most first practical level, we learn Torah to know what to do. As Yidim, in order to know what to do, we have to learn Torah. Torah is the guide, the guide, it's the manual. It says how to. How do you do it? You have to learn Torah to know what to do, right? Now, on that level of learning Torah, is a woman re, uh, um, obligated to learn Torah? Yes, right? A woman has actually the same obligation as a man to learn any part of Torah that's important to know in order to know what to do. Now, to be sure, there are certain mitzvahs that a woman is not required to do, so then she wouldn't be required to learn the halacha of that mitzvah. But there is a multi, the majority of mitzvahs a woman is required to do, and therefore she's required to learn any halacha that's, that pertains to any mitzvah that she would have to do. On that level, men and women carry an equal obligation to learn in Torah. Is that men don't have to learn, aren't obligated to learn things that are just for women? So, again, from the, you know, from the angle of learning to know what to do, so if that mitzvah is not applicable to me, I don't have to learn it. I see. From that, again, I'm saying that I, I'm, there's, my, three there's three points to learning Torah. Okay. Point one is to know what to do. On that level, there's no difference. Everyone has to learn to know what they have to do. In fact, the Rebbe famously said many times that that makes a woman obligated in learning Hasidus as well. Because Hasidus helps us to have the myth to do the mitzvah of Av Hashem and Yir Hashem and Emuna and Bitachon. All of these are mitzvahs for men and women equally. Right? The esoteric parts of Torah help us and teach us and show us how to do the mitzvahs that are the mitzvahs of the heart, the mitzvahs of Emunah. So the Rebbe maintained and said this numerous times that when it comes to learning any of those areas of the esoterics, a, a woman carries an, e an equal obligation to a man. Okay? So that's number one, to learn Torah, to know what to do. The Hebrew phrase used for that is, Ladas es ha asher ta'asun. To know what to do, to know how to live. As a Yid, number one, we look at the Torah, what do I do? And there a man and woman have an equal obligation. Okay, number, reason number two why we learn Torah is that there's a mitzvah to learn Torah. Straight up. There's a mitzvah, Vishinantam Levanacha, to learn Torah, or as the Pasik says, Vahagisa ba Yomam Valayla. You should just always learn Torah as much as you can. That obligation a woman is not chayiv in, is not obligated to. There's the obligation to learn just for the sake of learning. You know, you already know what to do. You know your halachas. You know all the halachas. But just, you have 10 minutes, take a safer and learn because there's a mitzvah to learn. That's one of those areas where a woman doesn't carry the obligation. Just like the mitzvah of tefillin or tzitzis, right? A woman doesn't have that obligation. So here too, a woman doesn't have that obligation. Now, as is, as is the case in almost any mitzvah, the woman doesn't have an obligation. Is she allowed to? Yes. And if she does, she makes a mitzvah, uh, makes a bracha, that is, and does a mitzvah. Tefillin? So tefillin is an exception for a specific reason. A mitzvah if she's not obligated in that mitzvah? So just like, take for example, sukkah. Yeah. Is a woman obligated to eat in a sukkah and sukkahs? No. No. Could a woman eat in a sukkah and sukkahs? Yeah. If she does, does she make a bracha? Yeah. 
Yes, right? So most mitzvahs, even if a woman is not obligated in, that means she doesn't have to. Because of whatever reason why Hashem decided a certain mitzvah a man has to and a woman doesn't have to. But even if you don't have to, that doesn't mean that if you do it, you're not getting a mitzvah. But that's the second reason why we learn Torah. And there is where the difference is between man and a woman. A man has a mitzvah. Like, why are you not learning now? You should be learning if you could. That is a good, uh, that you say to a man, not to a woman. What's the third reason we learn Torah? Is the reason of this chapter. Because it affords the ultimate union with Hashem. We're bringing Hashem into our minds. We're starting to think like, like, like Hashem's wisdom. Torah becomes part of our mind and heart. The Yichud Nifla, that tremendous union, that amazing union. In that, there's no difference between a man and a woman. Right? Just like when a man learns Torah, what are they doing? They're bringing Hashem into their minds. And therefore, they're connecting it, as we said, where the person is hugging Hashem, bringing Hashem into them, in addition to being surrounded by Hashem. In that area, again, there's zero difference between a man and a woman. So it's a very important thing to know because there's this confusion about women and Torah. It's a, you always have to know which reason or aspect of Torah are we talking about. And then you know, is there or isn't there a difference between a man and a woman in their chiyuv, and their obligation? Right? Have I been clear? So again, just to, to summarize very quickly, as far as learning Torah to know what to do, a man and a woman are equal. In fact, in the, the idea of learning Torah, because there's this mitzvah to learn, just because there's a mitzvah, there's a mitzvah, there's a commandment to learn, that is where there's a difference. A man has that constant obligation, yes, you have a, an extra moment, there's a chiyah to learn Torah. But the ultimate reason for learning Torah is not just to fulfill a mitzvah and not even to know what to do but that it's Hashem's ultimate gift of affording us that ability of this ultimate union with Hashem. And there, there's talking no difference between a man and a woman. So on reasons number one and number three, there's no difference. And reason number two, that's where there is the difference. And that's the short, long story about a man and a woman learning Torah. You would think that Tanya would start with chapter five, saying... <sighs> Hey, you want to connect to God? Well, you know, just learn Torah, and you know, we'll go through the other stuff afterwards. And okay. How it could be so surrounded. I don't know. Are you hearing the question? The question was, why didn't Tanya start with chapter five um, about the idea that this is the ultimate union with Hashem? That's a great question. I don't know the answer, but I do know that that question can be asked about many chapters of Tanya. Because <laughs> many times when you're learning a chapter, it seems like this is so all important, like, let's start from here. But the Al-Tareb is building, he's building towards things, and here he's explaining to us the significance of Torah and its connection. I'll finish with something that I've shared. Can I ask a question about these three things? Yeah, sure. Okay. But to ask loud. Okay. Because the woman isn't obligated in the second one, does that mean the level of of connection, because there's not there is that is it different between a man and a woman? The answer is no. The answer is no. In other words, this third point is beyond the mitzvah concept of it. This third point of connecting to Hashem and recognizing the Torah is that ultimate union where I take Hashem's wisdom into me is not because it's a mitzvah to do so. It's whether it is or isn't a mitzvah to do. And in fact, I'll share a beautiful idea about that. The Gemara says, a very interesting, fascinating Gemara, it says that um, Hillel, the great sage Hillel, um, is mechayev, I translate mechayev, uh, obligates, in this case more like incriminates, we'll see soon what I mean, the poor. 
And Rebbe, Rabbi Yudanasi, he incriminates the wealthy. What does that mean? And the Gemara says, a person comes to heaven after 120 years, and they ask him, did you study Torah? And he says, I would have wanted to, but I was too poor. I, I, I had no parnasa. I was running around all day and all night, and I couldn't make ends meet. I never had time to learn. They say, well, really? Hillel was poverty-stricken. The Gemara says he didn't have anything, and yet he was able to learn Torah to the degree that he became Hillel, the leader of the Jewish people. The next person comes up to heaven and they say, did you learn Torah? He says, I would have wanted to, but I was too wealthy. I was too busy with business affairs and meetings and, and companies and, and, you know, I just had no time. So they say, well, Rebbe, Rebbe Yudanasi, another great sage, Rebbe Lazar Macharsum, were fabulously wealthy. They were like the wealthiest people alive at the time. And they were tremendous Torah stages, sages. So that's what it means that Hillel incriminates the poor and Rebbe incriminates the wealthy. That's what the Gemara says. That's a you know, famous Gemara. So in, in a talk, the Rebbe once analyzed the Gemara. And he said, what's, what's going on? Let, let's understand. The person who's claiming he had no time because he was poor or was he wealthy, is he saying the truth or is he not saying the truth? Like, did he really have time? Or he didn't have time? If he's not saying the truth, then in heaven, you can't get away with saying not the truth. You know, they pull out video. <laughs> you know, what do you mean? I, I'll, I'll tell them I was poor. They'll show me I had time. Why does it bring Hillel from Ganadin? Just say, you know, Hakish you know, it's not true. Or the person who's wealthy, if you really, on the other hand, if you really didn't have time, then what do you gain by bringing Hillel into the story, into the equation? Are you following? So the Rebbe said, like, what, what's going on? Did he really have time or didn't he have time? And the Rebbe explains, he says, really, obviously, if the guy is saying this in heaven, then he's saying the truth. He really didn't have time. So then, then what does Hillel change? What does Rebbe change? Mm -hmm. It says, Hillel and Rebbe prove that even when you don't have time, human nature is, for what's so precious and dear to us, we find time even when we don't have time. Hillel also didn't have time. He really didn't. But Torah was precious enough to him that without having time, he found time for it. Right? That's na our nature. Our nature is... We, we, we really don't have time, but for those things that are so meaningful to us, we find the time. We carve out time in between times, in times that we're not sure. It wasn't, it's before the day started and after the night ended. And somehow, for that which I really is important, and where does that come from? That comes from understanding what Torah is, the gift of Torah. When we understand that Torah is Hashem's ultimate gift to us, it's a way for Hashem to, to, that He allows us to have that yichud nifla, that wondrous union of bringing Hashem's thought into our minds, which is, makes no sense. We started off the share tonight with Eliyahu and Avi saying, Leis machshava tfisa bey. Our minds can't grasp Hashem until Hashem invested Himself into Torah and gave it to us as a gift allowing us to connect to him in that very special way. So that's what, that's what Hillel and Rebbe tell us. Yeah, you don't have time, and you're not obligated, and according to the letter of the law, right, you can't. But, but they showed us. It's like, it's like when we're totally full, but there's always place for dessert, right? <laughs> we are totally full. You can't give me anything else, but that, okay, right? So if Torah is dessert, there's always place for, for an extra piece. And that's chapter eight, the, the chapter five, the special connection of Torah, mitzvahs, mitzvahs, but the special connection of Torah, that these are all um, brought to us through the garments.
the thought, speech, and deed of our godly soul that allows our godly soul to be fully enveloped and envelop Hashem in this complete union. And that's how he finishes chapter 5. And next week, we're turning the page and going to chapter 6, which is going to the animal soul. So whereas the last four classes, chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, were all the godly soul and the godly connections and the soul powers and the garments and terror and mitzvahs, now we're going to turn around and talk about the klipa and the animal soul and all that, which is maybe less exciting, but it's all part of the story of life. And we'll deal with that next week in recession. session. Thank you.